0: But Reverend Carlton Pearson, if you uh, just to remind you, or if you never heard of this guy before, a very popular evangelical, Pentecostal, Orthodox, uh, bi- big big Bible preacher, mega church guy. His church, kind of in the heyday in the '90s, I think, was about six thousand people in Tulsa, uh, I believe. But uh, who? But the story, as the story goes, his story goes. One day, just out of the blue. So he's this very popular guy. He actually uh, kind of was the the um, pastor's president guy in, in some capacity for uh, three different presidents uh, in in the 90s and a little bit beyond that. Uh, But anyway, one day out of the blue said he heard God's voice telling him there is no hell. Hell is more of a metaphor, uh, he went on to say, for earthly, or he said God told him that hell was more of a metaphor for earthly existence, but the reality is that God saves everyone in the end, no matter if they're a Christian or not. We call this in theology universalism, the idea that God universally saves everyone, no matter what they believe, no matter if they're Christian or not, uh, it just doesn't matter. And so uh, that's where he sort of landed uh, and is to this day uh, theologically. And it just seeped into all kinds of other things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I won't recap all of that. Uh, so we, we received this question, which was really, hey, listen to this podcast and just pick something in there to preach. Because there's a ton of issues that and questions that arise With an issue like this, with uh, a movie like this, a podcast, an event uh, like this uh, from a guy who had a lot of influence, and even if he didn't, if he just heard about this, it raises a lot of questions because there's so many angles to cover. And so, again, a few weeks ago, this is kind of a part two today, because a few weeks ago, we talked about the real biblical evidence that there is for an eternal hell and that not all are saved in the end, how Jesus actually is the biggest, most vocal proponent for this idea. How the gospel is actually in the doctrine of hell, in the the idea of there being justice in the end, and how Jesus went to hell on the cross for his church for those six hours when he hung there, and how Pearson just closed his eyes to this plethora of biblical and reasonable evidence for hell, and so forth. And so we had a whole sermon on that. If you want to listen to that or or talk to me about it, please come. I'd love to chat with you about it, hear your thoughts, but the sermon from June 17 is, is on our website if you want to check it out. But this week, what we're going to do is kind of a part two to this whole thing and talk about an equally important question, which is, how do we know when we're hearing God's voice? And so even as I just ask that now, think about that for a second personally. How, do you got, how would you answer that question? How do you know when you're hearing God's voice? Or if someone came up to you, um, you know, like Carlton Pearson had this experience... What if that happened to someone that you know and respect very closely? What if they said to you, well, I believed this yesterday, but then God just told me in a dream that I actually was wrong and that this is true now. How would you test that? Or what if I said this? Surprise, I've been preaching this for the past 12 years to you guys, but God told me last night I was totally wrong. How would you test that? How would you question it? How would you have a critical response uh, to that? This is a huge issue today. It's extremely relevant. Uh, Pearson's story is a great example of, one, how many Christians speak this way today sometimes, and this God told me this uh, personally, uh, subjectively, this issue last night, and now I believe it. How many Christians speak that way? All of us do to a degree. but um, And how there's a, there's a sliver of it that may not be totally wrong, but uh, it mostly is. And then two, uh, the, the danger there is an unchecked God-told-me-so spirituality. So the, the the danger that there is in this God-told-me-so spirituality, because it's a trump card, right? We might say, or someone might say, I know you feel the reasons aren't that great, but God told me to do it, so, you know, or I know you don't like me that much, but God told me we should start dating, so, sorry, we have to do that now. You know, it's, or, or the, the dangerous part, uh, part of this, and we've kind of been saying this already, but. I know the Bible says otherwise, but God told me blank. I know the Bible says otherwise, but God told me fill in the blank. Or I know the church has believed this for 2,000 years, but God told me it was wrong. How do you test that? Has anybody ever told you that before? Have you thought that? Has your heart kind of gone that way before sometimes? One thing to acknowledge right off the bat is that God addresses this issue outright in the Bible. Both Testaments. This idea of there being false prophets and false in the Old Testament and false teachers or apostles in the New Testament. The Bible says, or at least implies, it's possible to think you heard from God but be completely wrong. It's possible. It happens all the time. It's possible to think you heard from God but actually be thinking directly or, Hearing directly from the devil or just from your own heart, which is wayward or whatever whatever the source And it says that even inside churches sometimes there will be infiltrators False teachers who teach half-truths in the name of God And it talks about how God hates being misrepresented and we would hate that too, right? Maybe some of you have had someone speak for you sometimes and they lie or they misrepresent you and how does that make you feel? You know, in that moment, we would want to interject with the truth, right? No one likes to be misrepresented or or lied about. And, And if we have kind of hatred for that or just discomfort with that, how much more does God? And so we'd want to interject with the truth and say, no, that's not right. This is right. And that's exactly what God does. In history and in the Bible, he interjects with truth. He's a God who speaks the truth. This is why Jesus says all the time, I am a truth speaker. I am the truth. I have the truth for you. And so, today, what I want to do, just kind of acknowledging that right off the bat, but then to give the background to this whole thing, is to talk about this question, to answer the question at least in part. I have three layers or kind of levels to this that increase in depth uh, as we go, kind of as if we were diving deeper and deeper into a deep pool, letting air out of our lungs and sinking down, sinking down, and then touching the bottom, turning around, and Kind of rocketing back up to the surface as we push off with our feet. That's kind of what we're going to do today There's three levels and they increase in mystery and depth probably I shouldn't speak for all of you But I'm guessing for a lot of you they they increase in terms in terms of like obviousness as well So the first layer might be yeah, that makes sense The second layer might be huh didn't quite think about that But that kind of makes sense and the third layer might be you never heard that before but okay or something like that Anyway, so we'll see but three levels today in answer to this question. How do we know even with certainty, when we're hearing God's voice? And how do we know with certainty when we're not hearing God's voice? All right, so the first answer to the question is, when we read the Bible, we know we're hearing God's voice when we read the Bible. This is the top layer of the pool. This is right when we're diving in. It's the, the layer with the most light, maybe with the most obviousness to it. Um, the Babylon Bee, which is a Christian satire site, uh, put this article out, uh, one of my favorites. Man sitting literally three feet away from Bible asks God to speak to him. <laughs> so I like how the Bible's like across the table just sitting there. <laughs> and there's flower. I don't know. What's there's flowers doing there? But anyway, just kind of a funny picture. But um, getting at obviously the idea that uh, it's ridiculous. You're asking God to speak to you, and, and the Bible's an extremely... Uh, developed, you know, complicated but rich and, and long book full of God's words, and it claims that for itself, and it's just kind of silly to say, speak to me when we have the Bible, but anyway. So now it's possible, so, so with that idea in mind, God speaks to us through the scriptures, which means the writings or, or, the, or the Bible. It's possible to misread it, we have to acknowledge that, and there's a whole another sermon wrapped up in the question, how can we trust the Bible and how can we read the Bible effectively? Those are related, but different questions that we won't be able to go into in, in depth today. But I do want to look at briefly how the Bible talks about itself as a help to answering today's question. And to start with that, let's read from Second Timothy, a New Testament book, chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. The Apostle Paul wrote this to uh, kind of his uh, main associate or a son in the faith, he says. Uh, a dear friend, Timothy, which is where I get the title of the book, but... He says this is kind of pastor-to-pastor or pastor-to-pastor-in-training. He says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, For correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All right, so this is a fantastic passage, so much going on here, but in general, in light of today's question, notice the heavy word centeredness of this paragraph. It talks about learning and being acquainted with the sacred writings or the scriptures. It's the same Greek word, graphe, which means writings or scriptures. Being acquainted with them, which make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. So becoming wise for salvation is directly related to becoming acquainted with the Holy Scriptures, the writings. There's a direct connection there. Being learned in Christ is directly related to being learned in the Bible. But then know what it says about these writings as well. It kind of goes on, it develops by Paul saying that all Scripture, so every single word in the Bible... Is God-breathed? The the Greek word there is theopneustos, which is kind of a word Paul makes up. You you don't see it anywhere else in the Bible or like in Greek antiquity or classical Greek. It's like this made-up word which kind of combines this uh, compound word God and breath or wind. Theos, which is God, and neustos, which is breath or or wind, which means God-breathed. All scripture is breathed out by God. It finds its source in him. And this whole idea this cannot be emphasized enough this is a big deal just theologically in terms of what we believe about the scriptures period as christians but as we talk about this question where do we go to hear god's voice the writings are sacred the writings the scriptures the bible is god breathed he doesn't say this the bible doesn't say this or paul doesn't say this about sunrises or mountain ranges or subjective promptings, or gut instincts we might have about hearing God's voice. The Bible never says those things are God-breathed, even though there's a sense to which they might find their source in God. But instead, the writings are God-breathed. The Bible is God-breathed. Though penned by men, it was God who breathed the words out through them. And so, a uh, classic place we see this in 2 Timothy 1.21, speaking about prophecy but can be applied to every genre of scripture. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Nothing in the Bible was produced by man's intent ultimately. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful and mysterious? So people actually wrote the Bible, but they were being carried along. It's like their, their intentions and the way that they wrote, their styles, and the words were kind of married to the Holy Spirit's intentions all along as they penned them. And so in theology, we call this, in, it's an inspired thing. They were inspired. And not everybody can write scripture. It's only given to, to a variety of people throughout history, but a, a defined group with a clear end uh, to have this, this particular ministry. Alright, so there's, there's so much we can derive from this, but there, there, there are, just to go back to 2 Timothy for a second, but also, I guess, uh, the Peter passage too. But with this idea of Scripture being God-breathed, there are few things that will revolutionize your Bible study more than believing this is true. I know a lot of you are struggling with this, or you're brand new, maybe you've never read the Bible before, or in this place of like, it's complicated, it's confusing. But there are few things that will revolutionize your Bible reading more than believing that this whole idea of Scripture being breathed out by God is true. In other words, believing that when you open a Bible to read, you are reading sacred words and that God is actually speaking directly to you through those words at that time. Do you believe it? If you don't, let me invite you to start believing that today and never stop. It will change so that you move from believing in concepts or reading concepts and facts. That's good, but moving from that to reading, God wants me to read this. He wants me to know this. This actually changes the way that you listen to sermons as well. Is it someone's ideas, someone's just concepts, or how they're they're particularly moved to speak in a passage? Though that's part of it, and the Holy Spirit can carry a preacher or a teacher along, kind of to draw from the, the Peter passage, and kind of carry along that person to speak from, like, their abilities or, or their leanings or their pasts or, you know, their experiences or their styles or, per, or, or whatever it is, is it ultimately God who has, has a word for us uh, through that sermon or that Bible study or, or whatever it is? And we can say this whether we understand them fully or not, right? Like, if you guys have ever talked to someone and that person says something to you and you don't understand what they're saying, they're still communicating to you. Right? They're still talking to you. So it doesn't mean you don't have to understand it fully to know that you're being talked to. And that's a form of love. Uh, Like in a marriage or a friendship, if someone stops talking to you, things really go south quick. And so communication is a form of love. At least understand that God wants to speak to you and that he is. And that as you're coming to understand what's being said, that's exactly what God wants you to know in that moment. Note also that it says that all Scripture, as it is highlighted here in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out. This means that the parts of the Bible that offend us are breathed out by God. This means that the parts of the Bible that we don't fully understand are breathed out by God. This means that the parts that contradict the way that we see things are breathed out by God. The parts that make you uncomfortable are breathed out by god all of scripture not the easy parts not the comfortable parts not the less offensive parts but all of it are breathed out by by him god's words his writings make us wise for salvation and that's where the gospel is too this deviates a little bit from the question today but it's where the gospel is in this idea that when it says god's words or his writings make us wise for salvation The implication there is that, and we know this from the rest of the scriptures too, is your works don't make you wise for salvation. What you do, the Bible never says your works make you wise for salvation, but rather the scriptures that are breathed out by God make you wise for salvation. His breath, his revealed will, his writings, the Holy Spirit that carried men along to write these words from God down so they can be preserved, so that All of us can continue to hear from God generation after generation after generation until he returns. So what this means is, you know, the related principle here to all of this, it's kind of a a sub-question really to the greater question today or or issue, but the related principle is the more that we see God's voice is in the Bible— the more we'll tend to see, which, and the Bible, by the way, is apart from us, right? Like you can, like in that picture with the flowers and the guy in prayer and the Bible's over there. The Bible was separated from him. It was over here and he was over here. Like, in other words, that's kind of obvious, but you are not the Bible. I am not the Bible, right? The Bible is objective to us. And so the more we understand that, that God's voice in the Bible is objective to us, that it, that it speaks to us from outside of us the more we will tend to see salvation as something outside of us as well and not inside of us. Does that make sense? And that may sound a little bit crazy or disconnected. Some of you have experienced that. But the more that we go inside of us for power and for insight and for enlightenment, on a God's voice type level, the more that you'll go inside of yourself for salvation. You'll think that it's in here. It's up to you. It's up to your intelligence and your abilities so that's kind of like that's the the gospel but also the warning in that is that the scriptures are god's voice and they're outside of us just like jesus is and we'll get to that in a second here is our salvation not you all right so that's that's the first piece when we read the bible is like the 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 shallow part of the of the pool here but let's let's dive a little bit deeper kind of going off that. So how do we know we're hearing God's voice? The second angle to this is when we bask in the gospel. The gospel is Jesus' death and resurrection. I want to start by just saying this, um, not all communication is created equal. That's kind of what this principle is built off of here. You know, if, if we said to our spouse at our wedding, I vow to love you until I die, and then a few months later you say, let's get a sandwich for dinner. Those two things are not created equal, right The first one is better it's more important it's more promise based it's lasting it's an oath. You could argue that those things relate, but they are not equally important. It almost shouldn't have to be said, but sometimes the way that people approach the bible it's contra to that and so but this idea that create that, that communication is not created equal uh, is is a huge component to answering this this question. Both are good. You could argue again maybe even related but they're not equal in power and lasting value. And so what this means is we need to do better. When we answer this question, we have to do better than just say read the Bible. Though that's a very good starting point, we need to go deeper than that when we talk about hearing God's voice and we have to get more specific. And by getting more specific, I mean let the Bible tell us what the most important And most direct word of it really is. Because the Bible has something to say about this. And so, if we want to be biblicists or biblical, when we read, we realize well, the Bible itself is telling us that certain parts of it are more important. All of it's God breathed, all of it's important, but there is a hierarchy. There are parts of it that are better, uh, to quote from Hebrews, that, that the New Testament's better than the Old Testament in terms of like power. Its ability to, to save and, and so forth. And so, so, when we approach it, this whole idea of hearing God's voice this way, this, this whole kind of sub question becomes more clear in the New Testament. So look at a couple of places here in John 1, verse 1, and also in verse 14. This is basically the beginning of the New Testament. It says, In the beginning was the Word, referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, referring to Jesus' incarnation and his birth. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so a couple of things here. Again, so much to say, but a few things that relate to today's question. Jesus is called the Word, which is kind of weird and kind of obscure, right? But basically what's being said there is that that Christ is God's word to fallen sinners like us and the climax of his written word the bible elsewhere it says in luke 9 and I'll, and actually the same story comes up in a couple of other of the synoptics i think but it says and a voice came god spoke out of the cloud to a few of the disciples saying this is my son my chosen one listen to him so if we're asking where God speaks, God is telling us pretty directly, he speaks through his son. He has things to say. Listen to him. I'm telling you. Listen to my son, my chosen one, who speaks words of grace and truth to fallen sinners like you. That's God's word. You want to hear from me? Listen to my son, who is basically me in in the flesh. All right. Then it says, "The word came to dwell among us," which kind of heightens this idea we already kind of got at this, but it, it means he, he came to dwell, and, and the Greek word there is actually tabernacle, tabernacle among us or set up the tent of God's presence among us, which means God wanted to talk to us. This is not just saying God speaks. It's saying God came close to us to speak, right? God is the word. Jesus is the word, but Jesus became like us. He became a human being to speak our language, to look like us. He's the great translator. Right? Not just a God who speaks from afar, from heaven, but who came to earth as God's word. So there's closeness. There's intimacy there. There's proximity. There's imminence. But then, even more specifically, and this is where it gets a little bit heavier, so hang with me for a second. It means even more specifically that Jesus himself was that word. And this is why it's written this way, and why it's not just saying Jesus has some words to say, But it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It sounds weird because it's not saying Jesus had things to say, but because he actually was the Word. In other words, his teachings in the New Testament are not called the Word so much as he is called the Word. This is kind of like Jesus saying, I am the way, versus him saying, let me show you the way or Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, versus him saying, let me teach you how to have a resurrected life now. We talk about that in those terms all the time, right? It's the same here. Jesus is the word versus him having some words to say, even though the latter is still kind of true. But it doesn't say that here. Jesus is the word, not just the one with words. And so as we dive a little bit deeper, then let's look at what he has to say in Matthew 12. This also... Um, Relates deeply to this whole question. In Matthew 12, 39 to 40, he's kind of having to clash with some of these religious rulers a little bit, like he does a lot. And it says, kind of uh, made argument here, but he replied, because they're asking for a sign from impure motives, and so it says, Jesus replied to them, you guys are an evil and adulterous generation, and you're craving a sign, yet no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because just as Jonah was in the stomach of the sea creature... For Three days and three nights referring to an Old Testament story about these things So does the son of man referring to himself will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights That's the sign of Jonah the sign of Jonah is his death and resurrection just to connect those dots really clearly So it's a tricky passage because if you've been reading the the New Testament up to this point Jesus has been doing a lot of signs to prove he was the Messiah all kinds of signs But this group asks for more of an impure motive in order to trap him. And so Jesus condemns them for that, but then he still offers a sign. It's interesting. It's kind of like he's judging, but then still offering them a bone. But when he says, the only sign I will give, or no sign will be given except, he's basically saying there is one more sign. This implies a type of sign that's different than the rest. It's kind of the idea there is that there's a greater sign coming, or a better sign, or like a, an ultimate sign that's coming after these first signs have came. And that is the sign of Jonah, again, which is referring to his death and his resurrection. So, again, hierarchy of signs here. Not all signs are created equal. Jesus is not reaching into his magic hat randomly just for any rabbit. You know, he's not looking in and saying, oh, what else do we got here? Oh, there's one more thing. He's saying this last sign will be the greatest. The sign that all other signs point to. We actually see a principle that's similar in the Old Testament in Exodus 4-9 when God speaks to Moses and says, If they, the Egyptians, will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and it will become blood. And so the idea here is that there are lesser signs that aren't believed in, but then there is a blood sign that will be. Or that God is saying, that's the greater one. That's the same thing in Jesus' day. There are lesser signs and there's a blood sign. The lesser signs point to the blood sign. The blood sign of of the cross. And so it's basically what he's saying here is, do you really want to know who I am? To tie this back to today's big question, do you really want to know who I am? Do you want to know what my true mission is? Do you want to know if I'm God's Messiah or sent one or not? Do you want to know how I'm going to fulfill all of God's words and promises and prophecies? Do you want to know what God's ultimate word of grace is to you? The answer to that, the sign of Jonah. I'm going to die and rise again. I'm going to spill my blood. I'm going to ultimately, like Moses did a long, long time ago, take some water and make blood out of it. I'm going to heighten that, spill my blood on the ground for for everyone, for sinners who believe in me and are saved through that. That's the ultimate, better, final word. And it's interesting in this passage, even to those who are now seeking to trap him, even to his enemies, he's saying, even for you, I'm going to give you this word. You're sending me to the cross. You're condemning me. You're misrepresenting me. You're seeking to arrest me. You're plotting against the Son of God himself. There is a sign The ultimate end to all that, which I am orchestrating, is my death, my blood spilt, my resurrection. That is God's word. He's saying, I am the word, remember. Not just I have words for people. I am the word. When he says, I am the word, this heightens the idea of of his death and resurrection. This heightens our need for it. And it points to it, because that's actually what he's doing, rather than just talking about it. So one question here to this last piece I want to talk I just ask you guys I kind of let this hang here for a minute but is God's voice to you spiritually vague or gospel specific like when you hear God's voice talked about or your friend says I heard God say this or or you feel like you heard God's voice in your heart is it spiritually vague and undefined sometimes maybe that's all right depends what you mean by that or is it very specific to the word of the cross and to Jesus's voice and his words in the Bible it's a pretty easy thing to measure. If you know the Bible, if you have one in hand, if you're even you're getting to know it, you can measure this. We can do this together. It's not all up to you individually, but as a church, we can do this. We can measure it. So we can clearly say, no, God did not say that to you. I've said that to people before, even though they're kind of good things they're hearing, uh, or neutral things, I should say. And they say, well, I think God told me this. I said, God didn't say that. It's not a gospel word. It's not a biblical word. It's super specific, and you know, I think his will can be, in both choices, in this person's case, it was like, um, or whatever, doesn't matter. It was just a life question, like where should I live, basically, or something like that. I like it was God's voice, and so it, we can test these things. The best, this is what this is saying, the best, most regular thing God wants to say to you and me every day is, I love you so much that I did not withhold my only son from death for you. God's words that we hear will never contradict that word, and they will always somehow relate to it, even if indirectly. It's similar to how we say everything in the Bible falls into one of two categories. A shadow of Christ or the reality of Christ. There's no third category for the biblical text. There's no third category. Either it's a shadow of Jesus or it's Jesus. It's an implicit representation of Christ crucified and raised, or its explicit narrative about it or teaching about it in the new testament there's no third category for the biblical text and so if we feel like we hear a third category when we're reading the bible or just kind of hearing something some kind of prompting we can test these things if we feel like it's a third bucket question it talk to someone else about it and say this is a little bit suspect but I, i feel like i heard from god here help them to test you if you're feeling if you're feeling uncertain about it too and and that all leads me to this third, this third and final uh, point today is, um, and we're at the deepest part of the pool here now, we're at the bottom of the pool, when we listen to the church. And I say deepest here because it's just not talked about that much and it's, it's mysterious. The church, just to define the church for a second here uh, with voice of God terms, the church is the voice piece of God on earth, the body of Jesus Christ, The expression in its diversity of God's triune nature father son and holy spirit operating in love towards one another and together speaking the gospel over each other and discerning his will together which includes protecting each other from being enticed by lies that doesn't mean the church is always perfect or infallible or accurate in their biblical interpretation but in general God speaks through his church in Acts 13 too, uh, it says, this is a New Testament historical letter and it talks about the church uh, kind of along these lines and it says, while they, this group of Christians, were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them. In Galatians 2.9, Paul recounts this and says, they, they, the apostles, agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews, the circumcised. And so... Something simple like sending a couple of people out of their church to more regional or global church planning mission, that might sound like a big deal, but but it's just a simple idea that we talk about a lot in churches. Something like that was something God confirmed through a group of Christians. It wasn't Barnabas and Saul saying, God told me to do this. I don't care what you guys say, but the community that God used to confirm. In other words, it's more than advice. It's more than, than uh, Paul saying, what's your advice, Christians? But we're just going to do what God says anyway. It's actually believing God speaks through his people. Otherwise, this makes no sense. It's very common for Christians, um, and I don't know what your guys' story is on this level. Um, I have my own story with it. It's um, It's complicated. But it's common for Christians to ask for advice from other believers, but then say, well, I'll consider that, but I'm just going to go and do what I think God wants me to do anyway. And, and to raise that kind of way of connecting with God above the the uh, the word the church kind of collectively has, has to give you, leaders or not, leaders are just peers or friends. But when we talk about listening to the church, we talk about, In general, doing what church leadership or Christian friends collectively kind of think we should do. We seek their counsel because we seek God's counsel. And God and the church are are connected. We're Christ's body, right? Are we Jesus' body as the church or not? Or are we just Christians disconnected from the Holy Spirit? But again, saying, I'll seek advice from Christians, but only do what God tells me to do privately, divorces Christ from the church. And it usually leads people to be super individualistic in their Christian spirituality, churchless, aimless, and immature. Some of you guys know my story as a church planner. I wish I had a half hour to talk about this, and I, I would be happy to sometime if you want to get coffee. But, um, but um, I was part of church for about 10 years uh, as a young Christian. A church we were planted out of actually this church still exists hope community church downtown some of you guys know that church but great church um i so basically in a nutshell um i was uh still i'm in a lot of ways but no but especially as a young young punk super insecure and private and um i just didn't know which way was up about basically anything in life and but i had a church that was full of the holy spirit that prayed a lot that believed in the bible it's god's word and that believed in training people for ministry, and it was the church that told me to be a pastor, not my heart. In other words, I'm a pastor today because the church told me I should really think about doing it, not because I really wanted to. And I, yeah, I don't—that can be taken a million ways, but I'm just—that's the truth. I mean, I did, I did want to, but and I saw rationale for it in the Bible. God spoke that way too, and it was wedded to like desire that God was budding in my heart, but that came after a mentor that just looked at me and said, Chris, you need to plant a church because what you're gifted for, there's no room for you to do that here at Hope. I thought, dude, are you kicking me out? (laughs) You know, kind of thing. So, But er, er, think about it this way. If I would have followed my heart, I wouldn't be a pastor today. Don't follow your heart. It's so the worst advice. It's the worst worldly advice you can get. Your heart will lie to you all day long. It's the most deceitful above all things, the Bible says. You've probably seen that Instagrammed a thousand times. I'm talking to Laura this week about that. Instagrammed, not that she's an Instagrammer of these things. Sorry, Laura, yeah. Um, <laughs> seen that Instagrammed a thousand times a day. Follow your heart. Just do what you want, you know. Like, ah, this, that's dangerous, unbiblical individualistic, aimless, impossible to test, you know, don't do that. Ask your church uh, what the Spirit's doing in you. Ask your church what they think, you, how they're being blessed by you, what the Spirit's doing through you to them. Ask your church their, their thoughts or advice on the wisdom that there is to move to this particular city or dating this particular person or have you ever thought about that? And if you haven't and don't feel like you're being ostracized here, I didn't, you know, and most people don't. We live in a very individualistic culture. But this is one of Carlton Pearson's biggest mistakes. Going back to this guy we started the whole thing with, the the podcast guy. He was alone when he claimed to have heard from God. Right? He was alone. Just like Eve was alone when the serpent tempted her. He not only forsook the Bible and the gospel, he forsook the church. Past what the church has always believed about the doctrine of hell, and present what the church basically always it's it's in the creeds in the early church in the bible and today what the church believes he forsook the bible the church and he forsook christ's bride he forsook her he forsook the the main way god speaks today through his word but as people who hold the word in hand and preach that word and and not just preach but i mean just carry the word and talk and counsel with the word and and all of that he forsook jesus's body So how do we know when when we're hearing God's voice? Just to summarize this, when we read the Bible, become acquainted with the sacred writings. Two, when we bask in the gospel of Jesus Christ, listen to Jesus, God says. Listen to my son and emphasize the sign of the cross. When the Bible says John the Baptist baptized Jesus, then later it says, and they crucified Jesus, those two communicative words of God are not created equal. They relate, but the former is lesser and the latter is better. Better. So emphasize. When you, claim, when you hear from God, he's going to emphasize that better word. So hear it. In all the scriptures, hear it. In all your promptings, hear it. And then in or number three, when we listen to the church, As they speak psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, to quote from Colossians 3, of the gospel over you. And as they direct you with Bible in hand and by prayer, depending on the Holy Spirit. So on on one one level, guys, as I summarize this, this, this is what, in answer to the question, this is how it preaches to us. Do this. Do this. Do it well. Do it tirelessly. Do it when you don't want to do it. Read your Bibles. Ask your church for help in reading your Bibles. If you don't know how to do it, the class this fall, just on that called Biblical Theology, if you want to take it. Talk to me or Spence about it. But, but talk to us about these things. Read the Bible. Hear God's voice. And when you read it, say that's what God wants me to hear. He's speaking to me now. See the gospel in all things hermeneutically or interpretationally and otherwise and listen to, uh, listen to the church. And then final encouragements is, is uh, and this, this is related but Um, I didn't just want to teach today, but preach this. You know, when we talk about how God speaks, actually, I was talking to, I think, some of you guys about this a few months ago, but just understand, because I know some of you, you feel that God is silent. All of us do. I, I have seasons of that. You feel like God's not speaking to you, or that he speaks more to others than you. But understand, God is not hiding. God doesn't hide I know it's hard because he's invisible right now. I mean, someday we'll see face-to-face, but God is not hiding. He's revealed himself. He became human to walk on our earth, and even now he speaks. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and died for us, and that is the greatest word he ever spoke and, and is speaking and wants you to hear. Hebrews 1, to 1-4, paraphrased and abridged here, says, long ago in the Old Testament times, that many, many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, here's the difference. In these last New Testament days, the days we're in now, he has spoken to us in a singular way by his son. And how did he speak by his son? By making purification for sins. That's his word. I've made purification for sins for you. I am the resurrection in life. I am God's word of sacrificial love to you. Every single day. Every day. Not once at your conversion and a couple times later in life when you're just reminded of that and then you say, yeah, I already know that. Every day, this is your manna. This is your food. This is your bread. This is your daily bread and mine. This is the ultimate word. Christ and specifically his greatest work, his mission, why he came And then this final word here, to all of you Christians especially, if you're not a Christian yet, still hear this, understand what Jesus is saying here. But if you're a Christian especially, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And I give them eternal life. There's good news here, and there's a warning here. My sheep hear my voice. In this passage in John 10, some of you know, he talks about laying his life down for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Here's the voice. This is like the active voice of God when Jesus hangs on that cross. His expression of love, his words of love for us. The sheep know that. The sheep are Christians, if that's not clear. If you're, if you're a Christian, you're God, he's the shepherd, you're the sheep. You know how God speaks. Equip yourself with that. Know, it doesn't mean you have to know it perfectly. There's never a question. There's a mystery to this question. But you basically know when God's speaking, because you basically know the gospel. You know the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know what his mission was. And theologies that dilute it or contradict it or leave it out or or centralize lesser things like God cares more about whether you turn right or left today than he does about you knowing him, not God's word. I mean, equip yourself in the church with others to... To know the difference between something that's not God. Clearly, Carlton Pearson did not hear God's voice. But it's so deceptive. Because he said, I didn't wake up this morning thinking I was going to just change Orthodox theology on a whim. But God told me to. So, sorry. It's, just, it's such a deceptive trump card. But how are we going to not be tossed to and fro by the waves of every wind and doctrine? Like Ephesians 4 says. How are we going to be a mature individual Christian and communal Christian community? And, and the answer is the rock of that. So waves can crash against the rock of that, but that never changes. And if that's the tester, if that's the filter, if that's the climax, if that's God's great and glorious final word, then, then we'll be okay. And we're the sheep and we know his voice and we follow him and as he gives us eternal life. So let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, for today, for this question. It's a tough one, but thank you that you are, um, you care about it, clearly. You care about truth. You care about being heard. You hate being misrepresented. Uh, clear warnings against that in the scripture, um, even if people are, are not really intending to misrepresent you, but it's just clear that you are God who speaks, who cares about the truth, and who sent Jesus to say, I am the truth. So things that are contra Jesus and everything he says and does are a lie. Antichrists, anti-gospels, anti-graces, all that is a lie, and, and things that we might think we hear that fit in that category, um, no matter how spiritual, no matter how powerful, no matter how real that dream was, no matter how much we think this, this doctrine of this theology should go this way, when it's pretty clear the Bible says, says the opposite. Those are all lies from the pit of hell and need to be rejected and called as such because we have an enemy who speaks lies all the time, enticing things, and our hearts are aimless. God, so come into our church and our lives and, and speak the word of the gospel through your scriptures and through your people constantly, God, and protect us from things that, that deviate. Uh, so. God help us to keep learning. This is a tough question that uh, there's more to say. So help us keep learning with this and, and to, to be the sheep who know your voice truly. So when you come back, we'll just we'll know it's you and we'll rejoice and um yeah, all all that and more. So help us to respond in song now and to leave encouraged that you have spoken to us with grace and not condemnation through your son. Praise be to God. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.